Welcome to The Wellness Connection with your hosts, Roddy Aglis and Peter McCarthy. Our program provides you with timely and relevant information on the state of your health and the topics surrounding it, such as natural remedies, green living, expert opinions, important facts, and more to contribute to your healthy lifestyle. Now, here are Peter McCarthy and Roddy Aglis. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Connection. I'm your co-host, Roddy Iglis. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. On today's show, neuroimmune specialist, Dr. Kendall Stewart, MD, will introduce our audience to a term that is new to many, autophagy, and share why it's important for the health of all of us. And on our health freedom segment, attorney and activist Jim Turner will continue discussing the ramifications of the rollout of the 5G EMF technology. Plus, our usual features, the supplement of the week, the burning question, and the drug-induced nutrient depletion report. But before all that, Rydia, you have a report from Harvard School of Public Health that surprisingly associates cardiovascular health with push-ups. I know. Wow. And I'm really sad to hear this because I can do about three and that's it. All right. Cardio fitness is historically where it's been for heart health. Unfortunately, more and more people sit in front of the computer inside confining cubicles and slowly damage their hearts. Harvard School of Health found a great indicator of cardio uh, fitness was push-ups. A total of 1,562 eligible firefighters underwent baseline examination between February 2nd, 2000 uh, 2000 and November 12, 2007, and were included in the initial retrospective cohorts. Active middle-aged men able to complete more than 40 push-ups, that would not be me, (laughs) had a significantly lower risk of cardiovascular disease outcomes including diagnosis of coronary artery disease and major events such as heart failure. During 10 years of follow-up, compared to those who were able to do less than 10 push-ups, that would be me, (laughs) during the baseline exam. The researchers said this study emphasizes the importance of physical fitness on health and why clinicians should assess fitness during clinical encounters. This is true in yearly physicals and those with cancer. You stay better health-wise in whatever state you are, the fitter you are. That's right. You know, and this is just one more example of that. Uh, When you develop that increased muscle mass, Mm -hmm. of course, you're helping to improve your cardiovascular circulation, your metabolism, and both of those, especially, those are the two big ones, contribute directly to your overall health. Mm -hmm. I'm such a weenie. I cannot do push-ups very well, but I can do girl push-ups a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and and, and the the authors were, were... very uh, emphatic in saying, even though this was looking at firefighters Mm -hmm. who are generally pretty fit and athletic, the logic behind the results apply to everybody. Yeah, of course. And Peter, your report uh, discloses the correlation between inflammation, oxidative stress, and sleep. That's right, Roddy. According to a study published in the journal Sleep, some important preliminary research is shedding new light on the relationship between inflammation, oxidative stress, and antioxidants to sleep duration and cardiometabolic health. The objective of the study was to explore the interrelationship and mediating effect of factors that are beneficial, 
i.e. antioxidants, and harmful, i.e. inflammation and oxidative stress, to the relationship between sleep and cardiometabolic health. The study looked at 2,079 adults aged 20 or older from the 2005-2006 National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. Metabolic syndrome was classified according to currently accepted criteria, and sleep duration was categorized as very short, short, adequate, and long sleepers. In general, inflammation was above the current clinical reference range across all sleep duration categories, whereas oxidative stress was elevated only among short and very short sleepers. Select sleep duration cardiometabolic health relationships were mediated by C-reactive protein or CRP, Y-glutamyl transferase, GGT, carotenoids, uric acid, and vitamin C and D, and were moderated by sex. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Specifically, moderate to large indirect mediation by GGT, carotenoids, uric acid, and vitamin D were found for sleep duration, waist circumference, and systolic blood pressure relationships, whereas vitamin C was a moderator, moderate mediator of the sleep duration diastolic blood pressure relationship. So a little bit of mixed results there, yeah. maybe some unanticipated ones, mm -hmm. but by and large, it's saying the more overweight you are, right. the less likely it is that you're going to have good quality sleep. Yeah, overweight and, um, you know, inflammation. inflammation Absolutely. Inflammation, it just yep. keeps coming back. Yes, it does. And now I'm thrilled to introduce our special guest for today, Dr. Kendall Stewart, MD. Dr. Stewart was only 20 years old when he began medical school at the University of Texas Medical School at Houston. He completed his formal med medical education in ear, nose, and throat, head, and neck surgery at the University of Texas at Houston MD Anderson Hospital System, and continued his training with a fellowship in neurology skull-based surgery from Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas. Arriving in Austin in 1994, his expertise rapidly attracted increasing numbers of patients suffering from a variety of severe neurological syndromes. Dr. Stewart recognized that the patients who are unable to process information normally were not being fed accurate information from their sensory system. He also noticed correlations between the severity of symptoms and the degree of misinformation being sent to the brain. He began using medical therapies aimed at reducing inflammation of the nervous system and returning the body's hormonal and nutrition status to a better state. His non-conventional approach worked well and today is accepted by many physicians utilized throughout the country. Dr. Stewart, welcome to the Wellness Connection. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, welcome. And, you know, Dr. Stewart, today, um, and we were talking about some of the things, so, some of the many things that you could introduce um, to our audience, but um, we're, you're going to introduce uh, a new term to most people. Um, uh, there are definitions online, of course, but could you please define the term autophagy in layman's terms? Yeah, sure. That's kind of a complicated word for most people. Uh -huh. Autophagy, A-U-T-O-P-H-A-G-Y for you listeners. So in, um, in Latin, that actually means self-eating is how it's defined. And it actually uh, came to prominence in 2016 um, 
when it won the Nobel Prize in Medicine from, for Dr. Osumi in Japan. And what autophagy involves is basically kind of a long story, but it's something I'll take you through and uh, hopefully you'll understand it better. Um, what happened is uh, in 2002, uh, Dr. Osumi was studying a drug called rapamycin, and he wound up discovering that uh, a system we now call the mTOR, and the TOR, TOR stands for target of rapamycin, but basically it's a speedometer. And it basically is a speedometer that's found in every cell and it controls how hard or how slow the cell works. And what happens when we look at diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's, diabetes, fatty liver, macular degeneration, all these kind of older people diseases, when we biopsy those tissues and we look under the microscope, what we find is garbage in the cell. Those cells essentially have garbage and what the pathologist does when he looks at that sample is he actually names the garbage to know what cell or what disease it is. And so what happened is they noticed that all these cells that had garbage in them essentially were running very hard. The mTOR or the speedometer was running at a very fast rate. And so Dr. Osumi actually had an idea. He decided to turn that mTOR, that speedometer down and make the cell rest. And the cell then took the garbage, put it in a pocket called an autophagosome, put enzymes in that pocket, dissolved the garbage away, and the cell self-cleaned itself and returned to a much healthier state. And he called that autophagy or self-eating. We then were able to recognize that that was a huge deal because all those diseases I just mentioned, if we could learn how to control that speedometer um, as people get uh, start to age, then we would essentially be able to reverse many of those diseases. And so that... Uh, was kind of earth-shattering for us, and it just so happened that I got interested in it in about 2016, uh, purely by chance. Um, I had a professor call me and visit me from the University of Florida, and he was a macular degeneration specialist. And what happened is um, he was growing macular degenerative cells in culture and decided to actually uh, test about 3,000 chemicals against um, these macular degenerative cells to see what would happen. And it turned out that those findings uh, gave us a lot of insight into how to alter the, um, the mTOR and the speedometer of cells. And we've just kind of been going on from there and have been really successful in, in helping the cells recover themselves. Wow, that's, that's quite a story. And, uh, you know, certainly glad that uh, for the benefit of your patients that, uh, uh, you were able to discover this and, and start working with it. Speaking of your patients, <clears throat> were there certain conditions that patients had uh, that you noticed uh, would, would uh, be benefit, benefited uh, by autophagy? Well, you know, autophagy really affects mostly the people who have uh, the kind of the aging uh, neurodegenerative and immunological processes. It's also involved in cancer a lot, and we're now finding out it's actually heavily involved in and developmental disorders of children. So autophagy, in essence, plays a huge role in, in just about everybody. They just don't know it yet. And so it's something that even most physicians really don't um, have, a, have an understanding of yet, but it just plays such a huge role in the ability of the cell to actually maintain its health and, um, and basically uh, give us the ability to reverse um, the processes that are are leading to these kind of severe neurological disorders. Mm. 
Are there any genetic mutations that are associated with autophagy? Yeah, that's the big one right there. So what happens is there's lots of autophagy-based genetic abnormalities. The major ones are actually ATG5, ATG12, and ATG16L1, and that ATG stands for autophagy. Those three genes actually work together to form uh, basically the protein that allows the the cell to make that pocket that the enzymes are put into, because if you can't make a pocket to put the garbage in, then you have no way to put the enzymes in or you'll wind up killing the cell. We also use autophagy to control things like gut bacteria. Um, In fact, the way that the gut lining actually uh, kills bacteria is to actually put these these bad bacteria that tend to infect the cell, that puts it into an autophagosome and actually puts enzymes in there to kill it. So there are all kinds of genetic abnormalities that are related to people's ability to heal. And it turns out, uh, or excuse me, to perform autophagy. And it turns out that many of these, uh, most of the patients that I wind up seeing have major genetic weakness in autophagy, which means that their cells really have to rest a whole lot more. And I I always tell patients that if you have a, um, well, basically I back up and I say, listen, if you're really busy, how clean do you keep your house? And the answer invariably is not very. So I tell people that basically, um, if you have these genetic abnormalities, you clean a house more like a man than a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to steal that. Thank you. (laughs) So, you know, um, Dr. Stewart, I see a lot of, of your patients come into our pharmacy, and um, basically, would you say that these genetic mutations, um, are you seeing these specific autophagy-related genetic mutations with autism, and I also see a lot of your patients with uh, autoimmune disease. Do you see a correlation there? Yes, you know, <clears throat> Radia, you're, you're aware but. Uh, a lot of my colleagues are also aware that I actually opened a world-class genetic lab in Austin about, oh, I guess it's now about 11 months ago. And our very first project, uh, we had been seeing in children with autism a severe um, autophagy-based problem when we were looking at their genetics. So the very first study that we actually did in our new lab is we took 72 nonverbal autistic children Um, of all ages and basically looked at their genetics and uh, much to our um, surprise, but not too surprising, 100% of the 72 children had some genetic abnormalities and autophagy-based genes. So that really showed us that it was playing a major role in the development of children's uh, disorders, but also elderly people disorders. And the reason that's so important is there's Really, when you think about it, there's two times in life um, where your gene, um, excuse me, your cells have to work extra hard. One is when you're growing and developing. I mean, you're trying to grow these cells almost every day. You're trying to develop the body. And the second time I tell people is after they turn about 55, unfortunately, our cells get older and they have to start working harder. So I think the reason that this becomes so much of a bigger deal, why my children are developing and then adults are over the age of 55 is because the mTOR or the speedometer of the cells is turned up during those times. So it doesn't take too much additional effort to push them into a disease state. 
Mm. Dr. Stewart, we understand that autophagy can be boosted through exercise. Uh, could you please share with our audience how that works? Well, basically, what you're looking for is uh, numerous things to actually slow down the speedometer. So when you actually exercise, you're uh, energy depleting the cellular structures, which is excellent, which makes the cell actually go into a rest state, and that's when it cleans house. Just like I said, if you're really busy, you're not going to take the time to clean the house. But if, you, if you're sitting at home on a Saturday and you notice your house is really dirty, you're probably going to get up and clean it because you've got the time to do it. Uh-huh. Well, how much exercise does one need to op- uh, optimize autophagy? Well, the answer really is probably, according to most of the researchers, about two and a half hours of exercise a week. And that's where you get your heart rate above somewhere above 60 to 70% of its max for your age. Uh, so what, when uh, you're looking at different workouts, what does that translate into? Are, are you getting more benefit from uh, cardiovascular aerobic training or strength training or a combination of both? Uh, is there any, anything that's optimal there? Well, you want you want. Uh, in most exercise, if you can, if your body is able to do it, you want a combination of both because you're going to distribute it over many more muscle groups. And um, basically, um, cardiovascular—it actually is age-dependent. To be honest with you, um, a lot of the newer research is showing that the older we get, the less benefit cardio is to us, and the more benefit strength training is. I think it's because it puts a little bit more stress on the the larger muscles of the the body. But I don't want to, I mean, we don't have it completely defined for autophagy yet, but in general, any exercise is better than none. (laughs) Well, for sure. And we've had uh, many experts on the show that uh, would agree with you wholeheartedly and that at least get something in. Uh, And uh, we'll be right back uh, to continue our interview with Dr. Kendall Stewart after a brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Balance and good health, two essential building blocks for a full and rich life. But sometimes in our complex and stressful world, both can be lost, and you need to find a natural way to get them back. Enter CBD oil, a natural approach to restoring harmony to your body and your life. But not just any CBD oil. For natural results, you want to be sure the CBD oil you use is produced the right way. Wave Organics offers pure CBD oil from hemp raised naturally on farms in Colorado. The oil is extracted using supercritical CO2, which is free of toxic solvents. In fact, Wave controls every step in the process, offering quality control and natural approaches from seed to shelf. Visit waayb.com to learn more and use the code WellnessConnection for a 10% discount on your first order. Wave Organics, pure natural CBD. What's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter? You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening. 
listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection, A-H-I, at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. And welcome back to the Wellness Connection and our continuing interview with Dr. Kendall Stewart, MD. Dr. Stewart, what roles does the mitochondria of the cell play in this process? Well, you know, Radia, that's actually still being kind of... um, ascertained you know none of this research i didn't do any of this research i'm just kind of a master assimilator i love to i'm kind of (laughs) that's true (laughs) a voracious reader of medical information and actually because i teach a lot i have to keep up with the literature a lot but basically it appears that the mitochondria um, has some connection to the mTOR uh, either it's going to be some biochemical process that we really haven't recognized yet. But what happens is as you energy deplete the mitochondrium, which means as you push it into a, you know, energy depleted state and exercise, then what happens is um, the cell will slow down, the mTOR will slow down automatically and the cell will go into a rest state. The other issue though is actually completely different um, in that the, the mitochondria um, requires glucose in order for it to uh, make energy. And the energy that it makes is called ATP, as most uh, chemists and nutritionists and medical people know. And the problem with um, not having enough ATP in certain organs is that it makes that organ not work well. The high energy organs of the body are actually the brain number one, the endocrine system number two, and the immune system number three. And I tell you, most people actually know that practically because if I sit you around a table of 90-year-old people, I ask people how well are their brains typically working, and the answer is usually not quite as good as they should be. Um, How well are their hormones? The answer is they're not what they should be. How well are their immune systems? Typically, they're weaker than, than other people. And so those systems are really dependent on high energy source, on high energy um, um, requirements. And so what happens is in autophagy, especially in young people in particular, what happens is if you get enough garbage built up and the cell is in an autophagy type of crisis, it will actually interrupt glucose delivery to the cell. And in fact, many of the researchers that are similar to me, we're starting to maybe consider calling it a diabetes type four, which is actually a cellular insulin resistance as opposed to a body-wide insulin resistance, which means that if if you can't deliver, when the insulin signals the cell for glucose delivery, if you can't deliver that glucose because there's an interrupting factor like garbage in the way, that puts the cell into a fairly major crisis. Hmm. You know, you and I both um, use the supplement D-chiro-inositol. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the correlation between autophagy and dechiroinositol? Well, first of all, in in neurological diseases, autoimmune diseases, um, just about everything that I take care of, dechiroinositol is probably the most important uh, supplement that you can actually take. Um, Inositol is actually vitamin B8. Uh, It's most people don't know that, but it's actually absorbed in a form called myo-inositol. 
And myelinositol has to be converted in the cell by an enzyme called apimerase to a special form called dechiroinositol. And I know those are fancy chemical terms, but there's a definite difference between myelinositol and dechiroinositol. Now, when insulin binds a cell and says, hey, take up glucose, which is what, what its job is, um, dechiroinositol is the second messenger. It's the, it's the substance that goes from the insulin binding over to the glucose-gated channel and opens it and allows glucose to enter the cell. So if you do not have enough dechiroinositol, the cell becomes insulin-resistant. And that certainly can lead you to um, uh, cellular uh, glucose insufficiency, which, like we said, it may be actually diabetes type 4. And eventually, if, if the body becomes depleted in dechiro, you will wind up in type 2 diabetes. And so what we're really looking at is um, basically just maximizing the sugar delivery. And you know that dechiroinositol has been used for PCOS in women and irregular menstruation and many other things throughout the, you know, throughout the years. Uh, and I find out that most of those papers didn't really understand why they were using it. They just found out it was useful. Uh-huh. Hmm. And for our listeners, PCOS is polycystic ovary syndrome. And we see that there are some people uh, that don't make a conversion to dechiroinositol. And so they're they're really that myoinositol is converting to testosterone rather than doing its job in the cell. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm seeing some really with your patients. I'm seeing some amazing results, especially with autism um, and decarinositol. But um, well, Doc, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a, a little about uh, diets since uh, you know, a big part of what you uh, suggest or recommend to your patients has to do with, uh, with nutrition. Can fasting help increase autophagy? Well, absolutely. In fact, that's the whole foundation of this kind of fasting craze or intermittent fasting craze that we're having kind of in the, the general public. Um, if you ask people about fasting, they've heard of it. If you've asked them about autophagy, they don't know what you're talking about. So what, yeah. what is really going on is there's three major things that you can do as far as lifestyle that basically um, maximize autophagy. Number one is exercise. Number two is calorie restriction um, to a certain degree. And number three is actually uh, fasting. And so what fasting does is it essentially puts less strain on the the insulin-based system, you're fasting from, you know, uh, carbohydrate and sugar load as well as proteins and uh, fats and basically allowing the cell to go into a restful state, which is triggering autophagy. And so I don't think there's very many people who have, who have fasted who don't feel better to a certain degree by introducing fasting into their, into their regimen if they can. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything that can inhibit autophagy? You know, how does that occur? Well, the, the biggest problem that's inhibiting autophagy is actually genetics. So uh, no. we're, all, we're all programmed, uh, unfortunately, some of us very good and some of us very bad as far as genetics from our parents. And so the biggest problem with having genetic weakness is that you um, essentially are, you know, you have to spend so much time in those autophagy-based cellular rest states that 
that it just becomes impractical. The, the second thing that can inhibit autophagy is uh, what I would actually call gluttony <laughs> better than anything. You really, you really is the more calories you feed the body. And, you know, most people realize today that you can't just overeat and expect to be healthy. And so what's actually happening is the more calories you feed the body, the more the cells are forced to, to work hard to maintain and, um, you know, do something with that um, calorie count. And basically the body just gets into an overworked state and really leads to, you know, poor health in general. Well, Doc, uh, if, if you could, uh, could you break it down a little bit more in terms of type? Is there a specific type of food that is more inhibitory, uh, a particular class of calories than, uh, than other things? Well, as in far inhibitory, you're going to have to go with the you're going to have to go with the sugars, the refined sugars. You're going to have to go with the the uh, non-complex carbs, and so those are particularly um, hurtful to autophagy because they're so insulin dependent. The the thing is, growth hormones, which actually are typically utilized, and I hate that word growth hormone. I hate to say. I mean, we're actually talking about a, a chemical messenger called somatomedin. And that essentially delivers fats, proteins, cholesterols, minerals to the cell. And actually, growth hormones have been shown to actually benefit autophagy. So in this sense, I would tell you that in most cases, the, the lower glycemic index diets, the um, basically the um, low carbohydrate or lower carbohydrate diets are going to be much more beneficial to autophagy than many of the other diets. So, so if we could break that down for our listeners, would you say something like a, um, uh, a paleo diet or some kind of low-carb uh, diet plan would be the best? Absolutely, for the, for the most part, except when you're dealing with children. That's the biggest problem. I mean, there's nothing wrong with paleo and children, but ten, as a general rule, you know, their cells are operating usually probably two to three times the energy of a of a full-grown adult, and so obviously we don't want to go too paleo. Um, for most children, or, or restrict their carbohydrates too much. We just want to make sure that those uh, carbohydrates are actually in a complex form. And and what are your thoughts on um, there's the new high-fat diet? Um, a lot of people are calling it the ketogenic diet. Um, What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, obviously, ketogenic uh, basically drives the body into an insulin shutdown, basically. And so, I mean, that can actually help. But that diet was really created for obese diabetics. And so uh-huh. many people are getting kind of carried away with it, in my opinion. Um, I'm sure there'll be people that disagree with me. But the whole idea is um, really your diet is actually also defined by your genetics. And, in fact, that's probably one of the most complex genetic solutions that we have to come up with by being able to look at your genes and tell which diet is right for you because it's different for everybody. And so the problem is you can't go learn from your girlfriend or on Pinterest or something like that. You've got to, which is unfortunately where most people go and learn about diets. (laughs) You've got to actually have some insight into the genetic modifications that your body has um, been given and which diet would be right for you. 
I am so glad you're saying that because that is my contention as far as diet and, you know, diets now have become really a craze. And uh, you're right. Now we've got genomic profiles, and I think people should pay more attention to that. But, um, Doc, we're kind of running out of time, so how can our listeners learn more about you and your activities? Well, I happen to have a podcast that's called Coffee with Dr. Stewart. Um, it's actually my sister who interviews me who is non-medical, and she loves to talk. And so if you go and look at, uh, listen to Coffee with Dr. Stewart, my sister gives a great interview, and uh, we have about 40 podcasts that discuss basically each of these uh, different concepts by either disease states or by symptoms or by genetic abnormalities. And so uh, that would be, uh, I think, the easiest way to uh, learn about what's going on. And can they go to your website? Can you tell the listeners what your website is? Yeah, the, uh, you know, I'm found on a whole lot of different websites. But, <laughs> so you can find me at www.kindlestewart.com. You can find me at neurosensorycentersofamerica.com. And you can even link uh, through neurobiologics.com or gxsciences.com to, to me. So there is uh, a bunch of access to me um, through many different channels, but... Well, what this is mostly about is about education. You know, we really want um, we really want people to understand that nutrition is very important, and the right nutritional supplementation is very important. And what genetics actually defines for us is what you know what we need and what we don't need, so that we're not necessarily wasting our money on stuff we don't need, uh, and that we're actually taking the things we do need. So I love the refrigerator analogy. So if you're a really smart person, the first thing you're going to do if you're going to make a vegetable soup is go look in the fridge and see what you have. That way, when you go to the store, you only buy what you need. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what most people do is they skip the fridge and they go right to the store and they buy way more than they need and they come home and they find out they already had a lot of it. So <laughs> they wound up wasting their money. So that's, that's my best analogy for what we're up to these days with genetics. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. Dr. Stewart, we know you, you have much more to share with us, but that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Dr. Kendall Stewart, for joining us on the Wellness Connection. And we'll be right back after this brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to the Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Do you or a family member have trouble concentrating, staying on task, remembering things? Does everyday life stress you out or are you in a bad mood? Well, we may have just the solution. Neurobiologics' new nutritional formula, Full Focus, created by leading neurotologist and neuroimmune specialist, Dr. Kendall Stewart, with 12 active ingredients carefully crafted by a physician to maximize brain performance, memory, and mood. For more information on this product and to view a video by Dr. Stewart explaining how Full Focus works and may be helpful to you or your family, please visit neurobiologics.com. Neurobiologics, where our mission is your health. Do you have trouble with nervousness, trouble relaxing, or turning your brain off at night to fall asleep? 
then we may have a natural solution just for you. Calming Cream from Neurobiologics, created by a leading neurosurgeon, provides five essential ingredients to help relax the neurotransmitters of the brain. Who wouldn't want to relax or wind down with a great-smelling lotion? Visit neurobiologics.com or coffeewithdrstewart.com for details. Neurobiologics, we are changing lives one formula at a time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter or Radia, please send it via email to the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Well, Radia, you know what that sound means. It's post time. Time for the supplement of the week. And what supplement are we posting this week? So, Peter, I want to talk about berberine. Oh, good. Because the research on it is quite amazing. And berberine's been used in Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine for over 25 years. But 20, research, 2,500 years. I'm sorry. That's good, yeah. That's in my brain. All right. I'm going to start over. Yeah. So, Peter, I want to talk about berberine because the research on it is quite amazing. Berberine has been used in Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine for over 2,500 years, but research in the West on antihyperglycemic activities of berberine were first observed in 1986. Berberine is a mixed nutraceutical, meaning that it has several effects that we can divide it into the broad categories of lowering blood sugar, lipids, and body weight. It seems to be effective for all the conditions involved in metabolic syndrome. I have several clients on it for cholesterol, insulin resistance, and blood sugar. And the other day, I was talking to someone with diabetes 2 about it for that person's blood sugar balance, and they asked me, how does it work? So here we go down that rabbit hole. Berberine regulates glucose through multiple mechanisms and signal pathways, such as increasing insulin sensitivity. Now, for our listeners, remember, insulin is the key that unlocks the door that lets glucose into the cell to be burned as fuel. Yeah, and it also apparently activates the adenosine monophosphate, or AMP, which improves insulin resistance and promotes the breakdown of glucose, releasing energy otherwise known as glycolysis. By upregulating insulin receptors, it seems to lower the fasting blood glucose and fasting serum uh, insulin. And also the activated protein kinase. So you've got AMP, AMP, and then AMP, which is AMPK pathways, which is a major energy sensing signaling protein, which by monitoring cellular energy levels, it acts as a fuel gauge that, pre- that prevents metabolic imbalances. Both berberine and the diabetic medicine metformin activate AMPK. And this is interesting. Owing to AMPK inhibition, berberine is what is called normal glycemic, meaning it only reduces elevated blood sugar. Just elevated, not any other. So it doesn't affect normal blood sugar. Moreover, berberine's antioxidant activities promotes insulin secretion and protects pancreatic islet cells 
which are the cells that make insulin, from being damaged from diabetes 1 and 2. And berberine may also reduce intestinal glucose absorption to lower the blood glucose by modulating gut microbiota. Which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It also promotes intestinal glucagon-like protein secretion. And for those of you who aren't familiar with glucagon, it's the opposite hormone to insulin. Insulin is a fat-storing and cholesterol-producing hormone, and glucagon is a fat-burning hormone. In fat and muscle cells, several researchers demonstrated that berberine may stimulate glucose uptake into the cell by upregulating glucose transporter type 1, or GLUT1, expression, which can act as an effective insulin-sensitizing function. I really like metabolic extra by pure encapsulation because it has additional blood sugar support with chromium, alpha lipoic acid, and resveratrol. And clinical trials show that 500 milligram two times per day benefit blood sugar, microbiome, hot flashes, and cholesterol panels. And I recommend one metabolic extra three times daily for three months. You can't take berberine all at once because of poor intestinal uptake. But as with most herbs, it's better to take berberine in multiple doses throughout the day anyway. And I uh, recommend taking berberine for only eight weeks at a time and then take a two-week holiday so you can give your liver a rest. And I do not recommend taking berberine when pregnant. And be careful if you already are taking a diabetic medicine. Talk to your healthcare practitioner. Yeah, berberine is really, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting, intriguing herb that has a lot of good health. A benefits. lot of things. It's really quite amazing. Yes, I, it is. I'm really fascinated by it. Yep, me too. And now it's time for the burning question where you answer those important health questions that you, the listeners, send in to us. It's important to note that any diagnosis of disease can only be provided by your medical doctor or other licensed healthcare professional. None of the information we present is intended for the diagnosis or treatment of disease. And today's burning question was submitted by Jen from Orlando. And she asked, what can she do for her profuse sweating? Well, Jen, being in Florida is a challenge for anyone. But hyperhidrosis, uh, which is the technical term for it, is the medical term for excessive sweating. It most commonly affects the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet and your armpits. Yeah, hyperhidrosis can significantly affect uh, your quality of life and can cause considerable embarrassment or anxiety. It can cause social isolation and psychological distress. According to the International Hyperhidrosis Society, and believe it or not, Jim, there is such a thing, about 8 million Americans or 3% of the population have an uncontrolled sweating disorder. That doesn't even consider the number of people who just have active sweat glands and easily sweat in warm and hot weather, and that includes me. <laughs> like Florida. Um, there are many possible causes for hyperhidrosis. Certain medications, hot flashes, God, I know so many women that go through that, associated with menopause, um, low blood glu glucose levels, overactive thyroid gland, leukemia, lymphoma, heart attack, and certain types of infectious disease. And some of the most obvious signs of hyperhidrosis include frequent setting, sweating excuse me, that soaks through clothing and abnormally excessive sweat droplets on your face, armpits, or feet. 
Uh, fungal nail infections, bacterial infections, and social anxiety are possible complications associated with this condition. Yes, but the good news is there are some herbs that are a natural treatment method that can be used to help reduce or eliminate excessive and unwanted perspiration. Yes, Peter, black cohosh and red clover may be helpful for treating menopausal symptoms, which may include hot flashes and spontaneous sweating. And other herbs that may be helpful for hyperhidrosis, especially night sweats, include shisandra, sage, and wipini. But remember, if you have this condition, other herbs like elderberry, linden flower, hyssop, peppermint, and pleurisy root can encourage sweating and should be avoided. Especially shisandra is a popular herbal remedy for hyperhidrosis. Shisandra encourages the production of bodily fluids and arrests spontaneous perspiration, including night sweats. Shizandra is also a calming sedative that reduces caffeine-stimulated effects. Expert herbalist and naturopathic physician Dr. Cheryl Tildner uh, states that Shizandra has antibacterial, anti-ulcer, antioxidant, and adaptogenic action as well. A witch hazel is an astringent extracted from the bark and leaves of the plant, and it's commonly used in aftershave lotion and in first aid kits for bruising and insect bites. Witch hazel works by shrinking the contracting blood vessels. As an astringent, it's also drying. So witch hazel is often used in deodorants as an antiperspirant, and ordinary witch hazel can be applied to the face using a cotton ball. Also, aloe vera, Peter, for people who suffer from hyperhidrosis, dabbing aloe vera juice on the face can temporarily stop perspiration. Aloe vera juice can also help cool, warm skin, make it a good pro makes it a good product for those whose uh, sweating is triggered by heat, like you in the summertime. There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope that helps you, Jen. Uh, you can submit your own burning question by sending it to us at the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection AHI at gmail.com. Tune in every week to hear if your question is being answered on the air. And we'll be right back with important information about drug-induced nutrient depletion and our health freedom update after this brief message from our sponsor. You're listening to The Wellness Connection on Voice America Digital Radio Network. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Do you or a family member have trouble concentrating, staying on task, remembering things? Does everyday life stress you out or are you in a bad mood? Well, we may have just the solution. Neurobiologics' new nutritional formula, Full Focus, created by leading neurotologist and neuroimmune specialist, Dr. Kendall Stewart, with 12 active ingredients carefully crafted by a physician to maximize brain performance, memory, and mood. For more information on this product and to view a video by Dr. Stewart explaining how Full Focus works and may be helpful to you or your family, please visit neurobiologics.com. Neurobiologics, where our mission is your health. Do you have trouble with nervousness, trouble relaxing, or turning your brain off at night to fall asleep? 
then we may have a natural solution just for you. Calming Cream from Neurobiologics, created by a leading neurosurgeon, provides five essential ingredients to help relax the neurotransmitters of the brain. Who wouldn't want to relax or wind down with a great smelling lotion? Visit neurobiologics.com or coffeewithdrstewart.com for details. Neurobiologics, we are changing lives one formula at a time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to The Wellness Connection. If you have a question or comment for Peter Aradia, please send it via email to thewellnessconnectionahi at gmail.com. That's the Wellness Connection, A-H-I, at gmail.com. Now, let's return to this week's show. Welcome back to the Wellness Connection. This week's drug-induced nutrient depletion update features... ...is phosphonate drugs like Fosomax, Actinil, or Boniva for osteoporosis. And ironically, Peter, the nutrients it depletes are calcium, magnesium, and phosphorus. Um... You know, this is another drug I want to caution people on. Growing evidence has now linked the drug to a long list of worrisome side effects. It sure has. Users have experienced severe side effects, including esophageal cancer, osteonecrosis of the jaw and thigh, and unusual bone fractures. I have one client that was taking this kind of drug, and she shattered her femur so severely that she'll never walk normally again. Oh, that's so sad. Mm -hmm. This phosphonate may also include bone, joint, or muscle pain, and side effects of the oral tablets may include nausea, difficulty swallowing, heartburn, irritation of the esophagus, and gastric ulcers. Many doctors just automatically recommend these drugs to thousands of postmenopausal patients that don't actually have a serious bone condition, but are encouraged to use the drug as a preventative treatment. These drugs came on the market in 1995 and proved to be a moneymaker, bringing in nearly $3.2 billion in 2005. Despite the fact that research has found that bisphosphonates offer only modest benefits in building bone and preventing fractures. That's right. These drugs may make your bone denser, but it's like pouring concrete into your bone. Your bone is not meant to be ridged or rigid like a concrete light post. It's meant to be flexible like a palm tree, so it can withstand movement. I recommend using what Mother Nature intended, calcium especially red algae calcium that won't store in the artery. And don't forget magnesium, vitamin D, and K2, because all of them are important absorption cofactors that need to be taken along with calcium in order to make sure that your body uses that calcium optimally. Oh, absolutely, you're right, Peter. And, and most people don't realize that D3, K2 acts as the rudder to to push uh, calcium away from the artery to the bone where it is supposed to be, and also magnesium, which makes D3 active. So a lot of people may be taking their calcium capsules or whatever, and by the way, do not take Tums for, for <laughs> calcium. That's right. Um, but you have to have the components of D3, K2, and magnesium to make it all work. Now it's time for our health freedom segment, and each week during this segment, we'll be talking with renowned experts and advocates about our most precious right, the right to bodily integrity, the right to decide what we put into our bodies and how to care for them. 
Some of us call that health freedom. Today's returning special guest is attorney Jim Turner, a principal in the law firm Swanken & Turner, which represents businesses as well as individuals and consumer groups in a wide variety of regulatory matters concerning food, drug, health, environmental, and product safety matters. He has appeared before every major consumer regulatory agency, including the Food and Drug Administration, Environmental Protection Agency, Consumer Product Safety Commission and Federal Trade Commission, as well as the Department of Agriculture and the National Institutes of Health. Jim is a graduate of the Ohio State University School of Law and has served as special counsel to Senate Select Committee on Food, Nutrition and Health, and to the Senate Government Operations Subcommittees on Government Research. He's also been a policy consultant to major corporations in the food, pharmaceutical, and telecommunications industry, including such companies as Kraft Foods, the Quaker Oats Company, Hoffman LaRouche, and AT&T. Mr. Turner has, is the, was the lead attorney on a successful petition to the FDA to reclassify acupuncture needles from class three to class two medical devices permitting their legal importation and distribution. Tim, welcome back to the Wellness Connection. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Well, we're glad to have you here, Jim. You know, uh, we've seen a lot in the media these days about the oncoming 5G telecommunications networks, and of course, it's all in glowing, glowing rhetoric. But what are these companies not telling consumers about this technology? Pretty much everything. Well, I... You know, I was in a conversation a couple of months ago. I was sitting at the table with a physicist who is on the quote-unquote Committee for Radiation Safety. And I was having a long conversation with him, and I asked him about this. And, of course, he said, no, it's absolutely safe. There is zero evidence, blah, 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 you know. And I said, well, you know, I'm in the healthcare industry, and I don't, you know, that's not what I'm seeing, and that's not what I'm hearing, blah, blah, blah. Well, he refuted it, like, and he is on the, I guess, the U.S. Committee of, you know, Radiation Safety. And so, how's the government doing on this? What is their thoughts? Because he works for the government, and he's saying, no, it's perfectly safe. Well, if you had, um, if, uh, if you knew the issue, and you sat down across the table from somebody who said they're on the government uh, radiation safety committee, uh, you would then not have to talk much further uh, to find out. You don't have to talk at all. You just know once they say that, that what they're going to say is that everything is safe. Uh, but it's not safe. And there, there, are, there are various kinds of indications of that. So, for example, the cell phone industry launched a huge study back in the 90s that was going to look at this whole issue. And they were going to come back, and they absolutely were confident that what your physicist just told you was the truth. And so they figured in five to ten years they would have massive studies that would show that what he said was true. And what ultimately happened is that that study was stopped, the money was pulled, and it started to die. And then all of a sudden, little papers from here and there started to leak out. And each of the papers that leaked out raised a, a significant question. Uh, the questions never got resolved because the money was pulled away from the study, but everything that has come out suggests that they were finding really serious problems. 
Well, we know enough about asbestos and tobacco and uh, a number of other things that have gone on uh, in the um, in, in the uh, industrial world to know that when you start seeing that kind of behavior, you're recognizing that they have got knowledge that they're now trying to hide. And um, uh, if we don't pull it up right now, then we're going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now looking at courts where they're saying there was a conspiracy to suppress the science and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This is the Shakespearean me think thou doth protest too much. Um, and I, and I, it's, it's quite frightening, really. I mean, we, Peter and I both, I can speak for myself as a practitioner. I'm just seeing a veritable pandemic of anxiety, insomnia, um, you know, really serious sleep disorders. And, you know, my contention is much of it has to do with these, you know, these EFAs. All the evidence suggests that you're absolutely right. Well, is there anything that people can do to protect themselves against the health effects of 5G? Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that people are attempting, uh, and uh, you know the, the the biggest, most dramatic is uh, moving as far away from it as you can. Get off the grid, move to the move to the uh, out into the country, and uh, turn off all your your stuff. Uh, you can uh, actually any household can uh, work hard to get uh, wires to their uh, to their system, whatever it is in the house. They can they can take that fiber or copper from, uh, you know, to, to their house. That is a doable task. You can look around and find that being supplied, but you can find, um, wired alternatives. Uh, and you can also have your house measured, uh, and you can get a sense of what the, um, what the, what the, uh, actual, uh, uh, actual, uh, EMF in your house is. And then there are available various kinds of, uh, filters and shields and so forth that you can place in your house. Uh, so it is possible for individuals to do that sort of thing, um, and uh, you know you need to you need to work hard at it. Uh, we're working together to pull some groups uh, and get them up online that we can point to and say, here's places where you can get personal guidance for uh, dealing with this uh, crisis. Well, that, that Jim, that brings up a, a question here: How can the average person who is concerned about this issue become more involved? Uh, there are a lot of groups around. Uh, you know, the Citizens for Health will be uh, putting up a, um, a program uh, that will be an entry point to help the people find these various groups. Uh, there are um, there are model uh, there are model um, laws that are being drafted for municipalities. Uh, the municipalities are in court right now. This is the cities of this country are in court right now, trying to stop the Federal Communications Commission from taking away their authority to say. You can't put this stuff in our town unless you meet our rules. Um, there are uh, so, uh, people in local communities can find uh, where the uh, activity is going on in their community to block these, uh, uh, this, to, to work to, to, to keep the FCC from blocking this authority. Well, that's awesome. And we do want to have you back. Maybe, uh, you know, Peter will make arrangements uh, to check back with you in about a month and get you back on and see where we go. We love talk to you, talk to you some more. You bring so much to the table, Jim Turner. We want to thank you for joining us again on the Wellness Connection. And uh, we hope to speak to you soon. Be sure to tune in next week. And of course, be sure to submit your burning question The next one we answer may be yours.
I'm your co-host, Roddy Iglesias. And I'm your co-host, Peter McCarthy. So long for now from the Wellness Connection, brought to you by Wave and Neurobiologics. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Wellness Connection with Roddy Iglesias and Peter McCarthy. Be sure to join us for another episode next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.